Welcome to Laughing Your Mask Off, the podcast where we talk to comedians about navigating the world of comedy since the pandemic. I'm Katherine Cowan. And I'm Carly Palestina. And today we are talking to the New York City-based, the hungry giant, Emily Pottis. Woo! Yay! Welcome, Emily. Thank you, thank you. We're so glad you're here. I'm so excited to be here. This is so fun. Hey. Okay. So we're just going to jump right in. Um, where are you from? How'd you get started in comedy? Just like, tell us about you. So I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I wanted to be in comedy when my dad would let, this is probably the most like used answer of all time, but my dad used to let me stay up late and watch SNL when I was like nine years old. And I remember thinking like, that looks really fun. I really want to do that. And my parents were like, and as I got older, it became more real because, you know, as I approached high school, I was still in that, I want to be in comedy. And my mom, you know, obviously was like thinking that was going to change from being nine to 18 years old. And then when I was going off to college, I still wanted to be in comedy. And my parents were like, well, you have to get a degree. And so in my mind, I was like, what's the closest thing that I can get to being in comedy and I landed on broadcast journalism which has zero <laughs> connection <laughs> so I went to school at Mizzou in broadcast journalism I moved to New York right after college and again my degree was in production so I was like how can I get in comedy production and then took I think I had like six jobs in four years just trying to get myself to be as close to comedy as I possibly could I did um, sketch and improv classes at UCB and the pit because again you know my nine-year-old self was like that's how you eventually get in comedy was to do sketch and improv well turns out I hate improv I'm terrible at it (laughs) was I realized that when I don't like to yes and people because I just want to do whatever I think is funny and (laughs) back in 2018 I was like I'm gonna try doing stand-up because then I can actually say what I want to say and not have to do what somebody else cues me up to do so I tried stand up for the first time in 2018 minus the extreme terror I had the first time I got up there I fell in love with it and then started doing it a little more regularly like open mics around the city in 2019 and then boom 2020 comes and as we all know I didn't do anything for a year and then honestly like came back in February of 2021 And that's when I started doing about five or six open mics a week and kind of just really like dove into it. And, you know, here we are a couple months, I guess, five months later, and I'm still doing as much stand up as I possibly can and working in a job at a late night show. And so finally feel like I'm at a place where I have my footing and nine year old Emily would be would be very proud of of 29 year old Emily right now. That's so great. Like that's such a, a like a clear we love a clear, like a linear life story. Like that's great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I just love that my parents were like, my mom in particular was like, so this comedy thing, like that's still, that's still the dream. Cause you know, when you're nine years old, you're like, I want to do that. And then my mom, you know, here I am 29. I'm like, that's still the dream mom. 20 years later, nothing's changed. <laughs> yeah. That, that's awesome. So you talked a little bit about um, what you were doing, like how, you got into comedy um, before the pandemic. Were you doing any, like before this all hit, were you in the open mic scene and doing comedy at all? Or were you doing improv or were you still just kind of like working at late night? What was your life in comedy like, like right before the shutdown? Right before the, honestly, it was so, like the 
I mean, the pan- I can't say the pandemic came at a bad time because there is no good time for a global pandemic. <laughs> but I feel like I like the end of 2019, I felt like a big part of standup is getting comfortable. And if you look at a video of me, the first time I ever did standup, my legs are visibly shaking. Like, I, and I don't mind public speaking. I don't mind being on stage, but something about doing your first standup set is so terrifying. And I felt like by the end of 2019, I finally got my footing. Like my jokes sucked, but like, at least I was comfortable being on stage and learning how to speak in front of a crowd. Because as any comedian will tell you, like half of it is just your stage presence, your delivery, and the other half is just your jokes. And so I feel like I finally got to a point where I was super comfortable on stage and was doing a ton of open mics in 2019. Not as many as I'm doing now, but definitely like more than I did when I first started. And then the pandemic hit and you know, you can't, Zoom comedy is not like, you can't do that. So for me, it was like, I just spent 2020 kind of writing as many jokes as I could and obviously gathering material because I lived with my parents for a year and then came back and, and did more obviously open mics after the pandemic. But before, like, it was so frustrating when you finally hit that moment where you're like, oh my God, I'm so comfortable being on stage in front of people. And then it's like, surprise, you can't even go to a restaurant or anywhere anymore. <laughs> so I would definitely say like the open mic scene was great in 2019 and then did absolutely nothing in 2020. Got it. So like you're saying just to kind of delve deeper on that, like, so did you fully, did you do any like mics in weird locations? It sounds like you really were like, I am not touching Zoom comedy. I did two Zoom shows and both of them froze. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> After those two Zoom shows during COVID, I was like, yeah, I'm never doing another Zoom show again. And even now, like I'm still getting emails about Zoom shows and I'm like, guys, things are open. Like I don't, (laughs) I'm not doing a Zoom show. But yeah, I did a few, I did two Zoom shows over in 2020 and I wrote a lot, but I did not, I would say like the the weirdest locations that we could do here when I moved back was just outdoor shows. But it's hilarious because a lot of the outdoor shows you have, sirens and traffic and the subway and so there was times where I'm like pausing in the middle of my set just for the subway to go by and you're like I'm never gonna get down timing (laughs) I'm pausing for the subway tracks and like (sighs) I feel like the outdoor shows were like the mic is never loud enough like is it oh that's so true yeah Yeah, cars are going by and like half the people don't even know what you're saying and so I just called 2020 a wash I was like you know I'm just gonna use this to write I tried the Zoom, I tried the outdoor and none of it was good. So I'm just going to wait until clubs open again in 2021. (laughs) Yeah. Did you feel like you were were, able to like, no, no, you you go, you go. Did you, I was going to say, did you feel like um, you were able to write more material than you would have written otherwise? Or like, how do you think that balanced if you were just like, I'm just going to write right now. Like they're not going to go anywhere today, but we're just writing them. I feel like I have one of those weird brains that like, not a joke but like something because a lot of the comedy that I do I'm not I'm too awkward to be raunchy so I can't do raunchy (laughs) comedy because I'm so awkward and I don't do political stuff in my stand-up so like and that was a big part of 2020 was the political landscape that was going on but I'm one of those so I'm one of those comedians that tries to do stuff that happens to me in everyday life and then just make it funnier so I'm one of those like people that I have a note in my phone that's been going on for three, four years now of just things that pop in my brain. Like I'll be in the shower and I'm like, 
oh, that was hilarious. And I'll get out of the shower, write it down in my note and then come visit it later. So 2020, I opened that note to all the weird stuff that I had written down over the last like three years and just started writing jokes and punchlines off of the things that have happened to me in my life. And living with your parents for a year, you have a lot of material. So <laughs> I think like, I just, like you said, Carly, like I definitely wrote a lot of stuff in 2020, knowing that it wasn't going to be touched until 2021, probably, but just spending the time to write riffs and jokes and like, how can I make this story that happened to me funnier? Or how can I put this into a set for in five minutes? That's going to be a quick way of telling a joke. So I think 2020 was more like writing, getting the jokes off of things, timing. And then when we came back in 2021, to be honest, COVID kind of, for lack of better terms, put some fire under my ass to start doing stand-up a lot. Because a lot of these clubs, when you first start doing stand-up, require you to bring people. Well, you can't bring 10 people in COVID. So when I got back and these clubs were like, oh, you only have to bring three. And I was like, well, I'm going to do this before I have to start bringing 10. So that's kind of what made me like force me to do so much stand up when I got back here in February. And I was doing a lot of those outdoor shows just to get comfortable on stage. And then when clubs opened in the beginning of April, I think I was like the second show at this one club that reopened and I brought three people. And I think that's what like honestly made me start doing stand-up like five, six times a week was like, oh, I don't have to bring 30 people to this show. So let me just start doing shows now as much as I can. And that kind of put the fire under my ass, to be honest. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's also, it's so funny because I I felt like also when clubs reopened, I don't know if this is relatable, but I also felt like I'd been working from home like alone for so long that like once you could go to a place and see people and do something productive I was like oh my god this is a game changer <laughs> like we're all here we're all working like this is great um it like yeah whole and new even, world <laughs> and even April like clubs were so weird because you're on stage where there's a giant plexiglass in front of you yeah and there's plexiglass between all the tables or the tables are really spaced out and so I had to learn that like when I was doing these shows, like you're not going to get as big of a laugh because there's just less people. And some of the clubs required masks and like, not that you can see out very far in an audience anyway, because the lights are so bright, but even the first two rows, I'm like, I can't even see people smiling because they have masks on. Yeah. So it was just a really weird way to navigate comedy. It's on. Yeah. yeah, it really is. And like, now that things are back, um, I have a question. If you don't want to talk about this, that's totally fine. But I noticed on your Instagram, which I forgot about until this moment, you were on a Gotham show that uh, Jerry Seinfeld walked into. Like, how was that? Was that incredible? That was like the, the craziest moment of my life. So <laughs> you, like, I mean, you go to the comedy cellar, you go to New York comedy club, you, when people show up, you're so excited, but you're like, oh, this is like where this is going to happen. And I like, and Gotham, like, yes, that's where that's going to happen as well. I never thought that would happen at a new talent showcase because these are all comedians who are just trying to get good tapes and trying to hone their craft. And again, like I'm still very new to the comedy club scene. And so like when I was at Gotham, they were like, yeah, you're going to get bumped. We have a special guest here. And I was like, like who showed up to a new talent showcase? And then Jerry Seinfeld walks out and I was like, Oh, so that's who I'm getting bumped for. And he did a 20 minute set. And then they were like, yeah, you're going to follow him. And I was like, okay, so this is going to be interesting. 
And then I walked on stage and I said, this is the literal definition of tough act to follow. <laughs> because how you even, I mean, I was not even preparing to use any sort of tape from that night when Jerry Seinfeld walked out because I'm like, nothing will be as funny as Jerry Seinfeld. So it was kind of, it was the coolest moment probably in my comedy journey, but like, it was just such a wash because I'm like, well, I'm not going to get that tape now because I'm not as funny as Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Classic New York comedy story. <laughs> That's crazy. That, what, do you know why he was hopping on like new comic shows? I think he was just like, didn't even realize what the show was and was like, I want to practice some jokes. And I like got them and was like, okay, I'll just come right now. And he just popped in and it was like, insane like I would never expect for that to happen at any sort of like new talent showcase or anything and right like of all friends came were like this was the best money I've ever spent not because <laughs> of you but because of Jerry Seinfeld that's honestly such a good point like if you actually were going to go see Jerry Seinfeld it'd probably be more expensive oh it'd probably be like a hundred dollars a ticket and they're paying yeah. like 20 here <laughs> such a bargain yeah insane um yeah well that's awesome um and so that was one of your your first things you did when the world got back or the very first thing I did was an audition at Broadway Comedy Club for the residency there um and that was still as Carly knows because she did it in April as well but that's like still like I said there was plexiglass between every table and that was like my first comedy club because everything that I had done had been open mics and so that was the first like comedy club I'd ever performed at and I think in that moment I was like I I love doing this. This is so much fun. Even in a pandemic, you can still make things, you can make people laugh in a pandemic, make people smile. Like if there's anything the world needs, it's freaking comedy right now. So it, that was the very first thing I did was like the second week of April and ended up getting a residency spot there. And I'm still performing there like on the weekend shows every once in a while. But it was, that was such a great first club because everybody there is so supportive that you meet the coolest people. Like that's why I met Carly um you just meet like I don't know like everything about that I love that comedy club and I love that it's like a very intimate feel so like to be the first club back in COVID that I ever went to it's like it just is something that like a basement comedy club just feels like what it's supposed to feel like so that was the very first thing I did and then it just kind of took like taken off from there trying to do as many open mics as I can still and as many comedy clubs hopefully eventually <laughs> that I can that's awesome um, and so we talked a little about what you're doing stand-up wise. You also work for Colbert, the show. Yes, I do. Um, and you are the only person I think we've had on the show who works in the industry while also doing stand-up. Could you talk a little bit about like, first off, how you ended up at Colbert and also how that like combination works for you? Yeah, it's, it's weird. So like I said, I had about six jobs in four years. Like I feel like in this, in the television industry, you just have to bounce around a lot to get where you want to be. Um, I started as an NBC page. I was in the page program there, like fresh out of college. And then I, my whole background was in news and sports, but I was like, how do I break into this late night realm? Because Missouri doesn't have late night shows. We have local news and sports. Mm -hmm. So I ended up taking a production assistant job at a local, the local news, which is like the complete opposite direction of where I wanted to go, but learned a lot about production there. Then I switched networks to CBS and worked at an entertainment news program called Inside Edition, which 
that was like, okay, it's not hard news. It's entertainment news. So it's getting me closer. And then once I got over to that network, then I met someone who worked at Colbert who got me a couple interviews there. And it just so happened that I got hired there in 2018 and I've been there for three and a half years now. Um, it's, it's like all about people you meet. I swear people always say like, make your own connections. And I, you know, as a 22 year old, you're like, what does that mean? Like someone just get me a job. And then you realize like, oh, the amount of people that you start to meet that will one day help you out in the future. I feel like that's kind of what got me there. Um, and I have a background in broadcast journalism, obviously from college. So that's what got me there, but it's a, it's a weird world between like stand up and cold, like working at Colbert because I'm in the production side. So I'm an associate producer there. So it really doesn't like, I'm not actually writing any of the jokes at Colbert. I'm just producing them. So to be honest, like a lot of this, there's not a lot of overlap between my particular job there and stand up, just because like, I'm taking what the writers give me and I'm making that into, you know, a piece that'll air later on the show. Um, so I'm not actually writing any jokes for Colbert at all. And I'm not even writing the scripts. So there's not a ton of overlap. Um, but just like watching Steven every night, it, it just like, if anything, it just makes me want to be a comedian more because I'm like, here's someone who's doing what he absolutely loves. He is one of the most genius people I've ever watched in my life interviewing comedy wise like he does it all and it's just watching him you're like oh that's that's what I want to do I don't know if I want to host like a late night show or I don't know if I want to be a stand-up like I don't know what exactly I want to do yet but like you want to be involved in comedy in every way possible whenever I watch him go on stage every night that's incredible it's so nice to hear about like the I, I feel like everyone we talk to has their own kind of well, everyone obviously has their own journey, but everyone kind of has also their own vision of where they want to end up and what like working in comedy ends up meaning to them and like what the end goal is. So it's kind of cool to like hear the trajectory of it being like, and it meets here. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah. So it's just, it's cool to hear about. Um, so that's where you're at now. You're kind of, you're kind of in the, the, almost joining of hands stage of the mountain. I realize this is a podcast. It's not visual. No one saw me put my hands together, but you can imagine it. I made a, a hand mountain before <laughs> listeners. Picture it, people. Picture it. In your mind's eye, there is a hand mountain. Um, who do you think has been your biggest influence in your comedy career? I know you were just talking about uh, Stephen Colbert, but even if it is him, that's great. If not, then... Ooh. <laughs> honestly like as far as comedy style I would say like Sebastian Maniscalco I love I think his stuff is one of the funniest I've ever seen because I love that relatable comedy because everything that he does it's like oh yeah we've all experienced that but he makes it so funny like there was one special that he did where he's describing the weight limit of a suitcase when you get to the airport and how the gate agent is like wishing that your, your suitcase is overweight. He's like, I feel like they just wait for you to have your suitcases be two pounds extra. And then he does this whole thing about, you know, 
they they're like you're over two pounds and then he's like well I don't know what two pounds is is that a boot is that a sock like what <laughs> two pounds <laughs> so I love like because I'm like oh my god that's so true because you're like well if I take out this one pair of jeans is that going to equal two pounds if it's one shoe is that in <laughs> comedy to me is just everyone has been if you watch any of his specials everybody's gone through a moment in one of his specials he talks about going to Chipotle and people like reaching their hand over the glass he go like so I love his like relatable style of comedy um and I also love fortune themester I love her like anecdotal style of comedy like her her sweet and salty special was all about like things that have happened to her and I was audibly laughing on my couch by myself watching that special because everything that's happened in her life is just so funny and the way she delivers it it's just so funny. Um, and to be honest, like I've never taken a class in stand up in my life. Like I feel like sketch writing, even sketch performing, like improv, that's something that like definitely people have the talent, but I feel like it's something that can easily be learned. Whereas like there's so many different types of stand up and, you know, comedy is in the eye of the beholder. Like someone that I might find funny, someone else might find not funny. So I feel like in my style, I just, the, the, how I learned how to do stand up was watching Netflix specials or whatever specials of comedians. Like that's the only way I learned how to do it. And I feel like as far as like timing and delivery and like the anecdotal element of it was all based on like Sebastian and fortune. Um, I also love, this is not a, like he used to do stand up, but Bo Burnham, I think mm-hmm. is one of the most like genius human beings of all time. Um, so yeah, I mean like anyone who's like trying to get into comedy, I'm like, just watch comedy specials because like, that's how you learn to do like timing and delivery. But it is funny because the first time I ever did stand up, like you don't realize how fast five minutes goes. And most of the first times you do sets are five minutes. Well, I tell a four and a half minute story because I'm used to watching hour long Netflix specials where they have 20 minutes to tell one story. So I was like, okay, Emily, if you're doing a five minute set, like you can't tell a five minute story, tell a minute and a half story as quickly as you can without speaking fast. Yeah. But I will say like those two are probably my biggest. And I love John Mulaney. I think his, his voice kills me. Like his <laughs> his voice. And so I'd say those are probably some of my favorites. Yeah, he could literally read the phone book and it'd be hilarious. Like he's oh, one of those. And yeah, I think it's so right with the, um, like just the watching stand-up specials. And I know that there are a lot of comedians when they're even further along, when they're, they're like, no, I don't really watch stand-up because I don't want to like accidentally take anything. But I have found that when I'm really feel feeling down and I'm like I have no ideas I'm not funny I'm gonna go sit in a hole when I watch good stand-up again it kind of like re-inspires me because it's like oh my god wait like that's what it looks like when it's good like that's that's cool like let's go woohoo I don't know yeah no it's so true it's so funny too because I am not gonna disclose where this happened but I wrote something that's actually in my current set and try to get feedback and I found it on I found it and it said, this sucks and Sharpie on the front of it, of my standup. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm terrible. Like, I'm so bad at standup. I'm going to give up. This is, this is terrible. And then it won me a residency at Broadway. So I was like, you know, that's a prime example of like someone who might not find me funny, someone else might. So like, you can't please everybody. And I've had, that's why I watch so much standup because I'm like, I just like to see people's different styles of comedy and my favorite comedian probably isn't your favorite comedian or anybody else's favorite comedian. 
So it's just so interesting to watch all these different people and see like how they how they navigate their stand-up sets. Yeah, for sure. And also like people kind of have such a different voice and like, yeah, and style or like, it's funny because I, I like, I feel like every, so one of my, this is, might be TMI, one of my prompts on Hinge is like, I geek out on, I put stand-up comedy, of course. And every like straight male is like, so Dave Chappelle, and I'm honestly <laughs> not that I like, I think Dave Chappelle's fine, but I'm not like, I love Dave Chappelle, but like universally, they're all like, Dave Chappelle's the best. And I'm like, interesting how <laughs> different, I don't know. Like, I mean, he's great, but like, I don't think he's like the absolute, I don't know. I, he's not my favorite. Um, it's like a classic example of people going, do you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast? It's like, yeah, oh, that's so hard. real. <laughs> my God. <laughs> That literally happened to me yesterday. I was at tennis and I was talking about stand up, and one of the tennis pros was like, So, did you hear this on the Joe Rogan podcast? Literally happened yesterday. And I was like, At least once a week. At least once a week. (laughs) Insane. How do you get so many listeners? Yeah, right. (laughs) So, we need Carly. Yep. On this podcast. Because um, listening to Joe Rogan, I guess. I think that's 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 been the ingredient that's for inspiration. Yep. <laughs> that's what yeah. that's what we're lacking. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, question for you, Emily, who is in the hot seat right now because this is <laughs> the podcast. Um, so you talk a lot about how you've been like you like tell stories in your stand-up in your sets one thing I've been struggling a lot with is like when I originally started stand-up I was like I'm only going to tell stories and I'm going to make them funny and then I totally veered away from that and was like joke punchline joke because that's just like more structured how have you found like how do you write jokes that are stories and like how do you like I don't know do you say like oh here's like I've been talking for long enough time for a punchline or like you know because I feel like that's that personally in my own stand-up is something I'm trying to like figure out how to do more. So I'd love to hear your take on it. Yeah. So, um, there's a, uh, I can actually just tell you part of my set. There was a, a, this was a true story, but I had my headphones in on a plane and I, some guy next to me tapped me on the shoulder, which like, I can't stand if I have my headphones in, there's a reason. <laughs> and we've all had it happen to us before, but you're like, Oh, I, he probably like, I had a lady tap me one time because she, she was like 80 years old and couldn't figure out how to get on the Wi-Fi. Of course, I'm going to help you. I'm not, I'm from Missouri. I have to help you. <laughs> but this guy taps me on my shoulder and I was like, Oh, like what? He asked me what size shoe I wore, like interrupted my music to ask me what size. So obviously I get my little note on my phone and I'm like, well, this is going to have to go on my stand up Cause this is just absurd. And then, so I, I just tell the story in like two ways. So my actual set, I'm like, I was on a plane recently and this man had the audacity to tap me on the shoulder while I had my headphones in. And he looks me dead in the eye and says, what size shoe do you wear? And then that's obviously it's that that's the first two lines. And then my next joke is, so I look at him and I said, are you trying to size up my non-existent dick? (laughs) I I didn't, I didn't tell the rest of the story, but I just use the first two lines of that to tell the story quickly. And then I like, we'll do a punchline like that. And then I keep going with the story. So maybe like a line or two more with the story and then another punchline. Cause my thing is like, if I did joke, punchline, joke, punchline, I can't, I can't memorize all that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's impressive when people do that because I'm like, how did you me- remember all of that? But I feel like for me, it's like, if I can do like a minute and a half of like a story, I'm like, Oh, I'll remember this so much better. But I would say like two or three lines with some jokes or like in, in that instance too, I think delivery is a big part of it. 
because like I'm on stage, I'm like acting out again, people can't see me, but I'm acting out me taking out my headphone, looking at him in the eye. And so I think like, if you're telling a story, you just need to make it as funny as you like be as super animated, insert jokes as much as you can in the middle of telling the story. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's also funny because it's like, I see a lot of people who do stand up like at open mics who will be like, I'm gonna tell, like, tell a story. And it's just like, they just tell the story, you know? And you're like, and then we're all like, uh uh-huh. like yeah. at parts we're like, maybe that was supposed to be funny. Um, and like, then it's also like, right. And it's like, after you listen to that for like, whatever, five minutes straight. And then they're like, and then the dog died. And then you're like, that was the punch line. Like, <laughs> like, For people who spend like their whole five minute set telling like one story or talking about one thing, I'm like, think about in non-stand-up life like someone tells you a long story you're like how do I get out of this this is awful right the same with right. like, if you're gonna tell a seven minute story do you seriously think people want to hear that or would you rather just like tell a minute story with some jokes it's kind of how I approach the situation yeah yeah it's also funny because then I'll be like I because I I feel like storytelling is a fun it's like a fun thing I want to break into but I don't think anything happens in my life either where I'm like uh eh. I don't think I do much interesting things. Yeah. Um. <laughs> one of the, like, again, one of the best examples I've ever seen of a good storyteller is Fortune Feimster. Because, like, yeah. I think there's, like, a swim team bit that she does. And I want to say it's, like, 15 minutes long, but I didn't stop laughing. Like, the stuff that was coming out of her mouth, like, I was just dying laughing. So if anyone, like, needs to learn or, like, wants to watch someone who's really good at telling a story, Fortune Feimster. Yeah. Absolutely. That, um, that's like, yeah. I think really good advice for people. Even do you, is there any advice that either you've received that you think is like great to share or that if not you've received just advice you would like to give our listeners about stand-up? I think like one of the pieces of advice that, I mean, A is if you think that you're talking slow, it's probably not slow enough. I am a very fast talker. I've always been a fast talker. That's like, oh, I mean, this is off topic, but that's why I don't drink before I do stand up either. Because when I drink, I talk even faster than I normally talk, which is already fast. And the first time I ever watched my stand up, I, it's like cringeworthy, but I can't delete it off my phone because it's like, I'm going to want that one day. I'm like, like just blowing through. And I think my set was like, like three minutes. And I would say like, if you think that you're talking slow it's probably not slow enough and if you think the breaks between your jokes are too long they're probably not long enough like there is something so real about just like the break between jokes and you know the meandering up and down stage like back and forth that just gives the audience time to process the joke that you just told so I feel like when I was first starting it like I said it was just joke 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 quick 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 and it's like I've had to learn it's definitely a craft that you have to learn to pause, like let, even when people were laughing, I wouldn't even let the audience finish laughing. I would just start telling the other joke because I felt awkward just standing there. So I've had to learn to like, just pause as long as you can. You talk extremely slow. And I thought that I had a good like five minute set because it was coming in at four and a half. And then when I started perfecting it and making it the delivery a little bit better, now it's like six and a half minutes because I take the breaks. I don't rush through it. So I would say just like, calm down and and be slow as weird as that sounds i was pausing on stage during a set is the scariest thing to start doing ever it's awful 
the worst. <laughs> awful. But like you, then like after you watch your videotapes, you're like, oh, this is why it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It looks so rushed. Yeah. It's also like, I feel like I'll like, like do a little pause and be like, is someone going to laugh? And then if no one laughs, like moving along. So nobody knows that that was supposed to be the punchline. Like, <laughs> Well, and it's so awkward because like I said, like different people find you funny. So like there's jokes that I did at my at Broadway comedy club that got a, la- a clap break. And then I did it at other comedy club and it barely got a laugh. And I'm like, so then it's like, do I cut this? Do I keep this? You don't, you navigate that world. But I'm like, what if I got a clap break at one club? I feel like I should keep it. But like, again, the clubs were very different types of people and very different vibes. Age is also a big thing. Like a lot of my set is geared towards millennials because I am one. So like when, you know, there was a 19 year old because the warm up com- comedian called them out, there was 19 year olds at this show. And I'm like, they're not going to find me funny because I'm 10 years old. I'm a decade older than they are. And or like, you know, an older crowd, like they don't understand what posting a Spotify song to your Instagram story means. And like, that's in my set. So it's, it's more of like, I think when you start to write jokes and, and do, go in front of audiences, it's like, okay, well, I know I have this little joke piece that's geared towards an older audience, or there's no age at all. Like anyone will find this funny. So it's definitely like navigating too, like those pause breaks, like you might pause and be like, oh, this is going to get a really big laugh. And then you get like a, huh. And it's like, yeah. oh my God. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> and it's weird. Cause there's always that, like, there's the pause that you take between and it's at that moment that you're like oh no I shouldn't like when you're just trying the new one where it's like oh no I shouldn't have paused this was a mistake and you kind of want to jump out but then there's weirdly a second pause within the pause and if you wait till that that's when there's either laughter or just devastation yeah yeah and then you're like should I just act like that never happened or should I (laughs) (laughs) or should we keep just um trucking along yeah yeah, I also have a lot of like, it's weird, like comedy's weird, especially in the mic scene where I'm like, I will have a mic where every single joke kills and I'll do virtually the exact same set at the next mic and then nobody laughs. It's devastating because you're like- And I'm like, is this good? Like, yes. And then you're like, damn, that joke's staying in, it kills. And I'm like, you, and then you go to another club and you're like, oh my God, I'm not funny, should I quit? <laughs> yeah, li- literally, literally. And I feel like that always like that happens to me so frequently on like my last show before I'm like gonna go travel or something. It'll be like a, I like a joke like jokes that have previously been doing so well will just bomb the whole entire time, and then I'm like, I'm just I'm not gonna do comedy when I get back. I'm just gonna quit. Well, and then there's um, shows that you probably do too, where you're just like so tired. Like there's been shows that I've done that I'm like, I already have a pretty raspy voice, and I tend to lose my voice because I have nodules. So. Like there was a time where I was losing my voice every single weekend. And like, I'm like, this is not going to be funny because I can barely speak or like, I'm just so exhausted from like work and you know, whatever else is going on in our lives. I don't know, global pandemic that you're like, "Ah, this is not going to be funny because my delivery is just going to be so tired because you're just exhausted. So it's like, you go in with that mindset, like, oh, this is going to be awful, but let me just get this over with. All right. Well, we are coming to our 35 minute mark. Um, is there, before we close out, is there anything you would like to promote uh, for people who are listening to this podcast? Where can they find your shows? Where can they see you? Yeah, anything, anything you want to promote? Yeah, I actually have a show this Wednesday. Let me pull up the date because I don't know what day it is. Wednesday the 21st at St. Mark's Comedy Club at 8 p.m. Um, it's going to be in my Instagram stories. My Instagram is just my name, 
it's very unoriginal. Um, and then I also am going to have a show at the comic strip a month from now, but it's Thursday, August 19th at 8 PM. And that'll also be my Instagram, but those are probably the two like next biggest shows I have. And then I always just post everything in my Instagram when shows are coming up. I have a few at Broadway coming up as well, but yeah, the next one's this Wednesday. So if you're bored, come watch some comedy. Hooray. 100% won't be there. No. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Guys, thanks for having me. This is like the best way I've ever spent my Sunday. Yay. Thank you for listening to Laughing Your Mask Off. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a good review. To keep up with our hosts, follow Catherine at Catherine.Cowan and Carly at Carly Palestina on Instagram. See you next week.